0: Here ye. The coat's in session. The coat's in session now. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Well, I don't know if I'm the judge, but the justices are coming.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. We'll talk about it. I got the feeling there's something right.
0: Whether I like it or not. I'm so
1: scared in case I fall off
0: my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the left of me Jokers to the
1: right
0: Here I am Stuck in
1: the middle with you Here I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you From
0: Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the Bradcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Up in, uh, in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN And Eureka's KGOE Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you can hear us on WLRI, on Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Fantastic affiliates all, and that's just a few of them. Uh, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, heard here five days a week on the world-famous Bradcast. Thank you for joining us for it. Well, ten Democratic presidential hopefuls are debating on Wednesday night in Miami, and ten more the following night on Thursday in the same city the first presidential debate of the 2020 season is on oh it's one and in this case um, it's on NBC we will have full coverage of both nights of the first Democratic presidential debate on our next two broadcasts
1: oh it's going to be scintillating
0: Oh, yeah well we will make our uh, we'll do our best to make sense of it yeah <laughs> yes we will. Uh, wish us luck. Wish Desi luck in particular.
1: Indeed. Desi
0: Doyen, you need as much luck as you can get here. At this
1: I point. agree. But uh, I should also note that it will be streaming on YouTube and on Twitter for folks that uh, may not have a cable subscription or they may prefer to watch online.
0: Today, however, coming up very momentarily, a return visit from the great Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, covering as many of the past week's U.S. Supreme Court rulings. As we can possibly fit in. And there were a lot of them which did not get a lot of coverage over the past week with so much else going on. Though, as I read them, it seems the cases themselves are somewhat less important for what the court actually decided than for what the decisions themselves portend tell us about the justices and uh, portend for the future now that a stolen Republican Supreme Court majority is firmly ensconced and uh, it tells us what those justices uh, may be planning to do very soon to overturn, in some cases, decades, in other cases, centuries of settled law and precedent uh, in what could be a radical overturning of federal laws, even thousands of them if one opinion uh, gives us any indication as described by Mark Joseph Stern. So you will want to stay tuned for that very momentarily. So at least you can say uh, you were warned. You're welcome. Uh, We're nothing but good news on this program, aren't we? Uh, Well, listen, someone has got to tell you the facts, whether we like them or not. So, again, my thanks to those of you who stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to support what we do, even if it isn't always Pleasant, Or what you would prefer to hear. But very quickly, uh, too quickly, in fact, before we get to Mark, some quick news headlines today. Democrats in the U.S. House on Tuesday night seem to be calling Donald Trump and the Republicans bluff by passing a four point five billion dollar emergency funding bill for humanitarian aid at the border after horrific squalid conditions have been reported at facilities where children are being kept in detention without soap or toothbrushes, being forced to sleep on concrete floors, children being asked to take care of other children of infants and toddlers in some of these detention centers. The House version of the bill puts some strict limitations on, on, uh, on how these supplemental emergency money may be spent. No wall building, Mr. President nor new beds for ICE to arrest and detain still more people and toss them into new concentration camps with this new money. And also the House version includes uh, certain restrictions on how migrants must be treated. The uh, racist anti-immigrant hardliners in Trump's administration, however, are calling on the president to veto that House bill if it's not modified, even though Republicans have been trying to blame Democrats for children not being given things like soap and toothbrushes and blankets and, you know, decent food to eat and stuff. By claiming that, oh, there's just not enough money allocated uh, to be able to afford soap or showers That, after seven children so far, have already died in U.S. immigration custody since the end of last year in these camps. The Senate version of this bill was approved this afternoon with $4.6 billion in emergency aid, but puts fewer restrictions on the administration. Those bills will now have to somehow be reconciled and quickly if any of this money is to get to the places where it's very much needed before Congress heads out for their week long uh, July 4th recess, it's unclear how that can all be worked out before they recess at this hour, but we'll be watching. And you probably heard the news by now, but if not, you'll be hearing quite a bit about it over the next couple of weeks, I suspect. Shortly after we got off air last night, this announcement from the U.S. House. Quote, pursuant to subpoenas issued by the House Judiciary and House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence tonight, Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller III has agreed to testify before both committees on July 17 in open session. That would be before the House Judiciary and House Intelligence Committees in open session The uh, chairman uh, Jerry Nadler and uh, Adam Schiff of of the uh, two committees said Americans have demanded to hear directly from the special counsel so they can understand what he and his team examined, uncovered and determined about Russia's attack on our democracy. The Trump campaign's acceptance and use of that help and President Trump and his associates obstruction of the investigation into that attack. We look forward to hearing his testimony, as do all Americans, the chairman uh, said in their statement. Now, Congressman Schiff, my congressman, by the way, uh, should I run against him, Des? (laughs) Okay, thanks for your I got your vote. Anyway, uh, he told uh, he told Rachel Maddow last night that Mueller is not Coming to testify voluntarily. This was not a friendly subpoena. Apparently, the former special counsel did not want to testify at all, but if forced to do so, he preferred to do so in closed session with a transcript released later. But Democrats, for once at least, seem to have stood their ground on this matter. And Mueller will be testifying in open session, albeit for two different committees on the same single day, one after another. So it's unclear how much detail they'll actually be able to get to and and get from the special counsel, the former special counsel, regarding Donald Trump's many impeachable offenses, many obstruction of justice crimes that are detailed in Mueller's 448-page report. What measures, if any, the White House or Donald Trump's fixer Attorney General Bill Barr might still try to take to prevent Mueller's testimony before July 17th. Uh, That remains to be seen. But speaking of reluctant House testimony, just one more before we get to Mark Joseph Stern. Uh, The House Oversight Committee on Wednesday voted to subpoena White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway after she did not appear to testify over accusations that she violated the Hatch Act repeatedly. House Oversight Committee Chair Elijah Cummings said before the vote on Wednesday, we quote, we have over two million federal employees who adhere to the Hatch Act every day. Nobody is above the law. The committee sought her voluntary testimony today. Cummings said we wanted to hear from her directly. She's a public official who we pay, by the way, he said, who has been accused of wrongdoing and she refused to explain herself to the Office of the Special Counsel. Now, that's the Office of the Special Counsel, not to be confused with the Special Counsel's Office of Robert Mueller. The Office of the Special Counsel is headed by a Trump appointee and is supposedly an independent watchdog type of agency that looks at things like potential violations of the Federal Hatch Act. The Office of Special Counsel has accused Conway of repeatedly violating the act, which forbids federal employees from engaging in partisan political activity during media appearances uh, on their on their Twitter feeds, etc. The Office of Special Counsel recommended that Kellyanne Conway be fired. Trump, however, has made it clear he has no intention of firing Conway despite her repeated violations of federal law, of course, because laws, as you know, are for the little people. And uh, Trump has seized on the right-wing talking point that the uh, OSC, the Office of Special Counsel, is attempting to take away her First Amendment rights. She has the First Amendment right to go out and use her official position that you and I pay for to go out and promote her. Republicans who are running for office. Otherwise, she has lost her First Amendment rights, according to Donald Trump and the folks on the right. Again, the investigator recommended Kelly be fired. Kellyanne be fired in this case. And uh, the, the one who did so is a Trump appointee. The vote to subpoena Conway in committee today passed after Congressman Justin Amash, Republican of Michigan, joined with all of the Democrats on the committee to vote in favor of the resolution. Before taking the vote, senior Republicans on the committee argued the hearing was a political stunt and another attempt to go after the Trump administration. Because, you know, uh, that's what they do. Uh, Republicans in this case and, of course, had a top Obama White House official repeatedly used his or her office to promote Democratic candidates running for office. I'm sure those Republicans would have, would have also been, you know, look the other way. Right. Because, you know, First Amendment and all of that. Yeah, I, I think that whoever would have done that by now. Had they been in the Obama White House, the Clinton White House, uh, would have been fired, would have been, uh, they would have been calling for their impeachment by now.
1: And it would have been a week-long effort along in the media to cover it endlessly from wall to wall.
0: Yeah, this one was barely a blip. You hardly even noticed it if you weren't paying attention with everything else. One more here. Speaking uh, Speaking of amendments, in this case the Second Amendment... Uh, News out today, very sad news, uh, that NRA TV has been shut down. That amid the scandals and internecine fighting going on at the beleaguered National Rifle Association, or as I like to call them, the terrorist-supporting NRA. Sad, as Donald Trump would say. Of course, our thoughts and prayers to the folks at the NRA at what must be a very difficult time for them. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here and we will come back with Mark Joseph Stern and a boatload of Supreme Court rulings from the past week. Uh, Some of them we have to be very careful when we talk about so that we're allowed to stay on FCC radio. Uh, And more importantly, uh, what these decisions over the past week are telling us, frankly, shouting at us as I see it. About the future. That, unless Democrats can get their act together, win majorities in both houses of Congress next year, along with the White House, and then start the process of unpacking a stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court. Mark Joseph Stern is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. There has been a bevy of Supreme Court opinions released over the past week since Slate's great Mark Joseph Stern last joined us to talk about the opinions released in the week prior as the high court wraps up its term. Before setting off for their long, delightful summer vacations, many of the decisions over the past week have received little notice, actually. One reason, of course, is due to the fact that we have been on the brink of war with Iran over the past week, thanks to President Crazy Pants, not to mention the revelations that hundreds and perhaps thousands of migrant children are being held in deplorable conditions on the border in what many have justifiably described as Concentration camps after the children ranging in age from infants to teenagers have been separated from their families and caged to sleep on concrete floors with no soap, toothbrushes or showers. Uh, And of course, there is the never ending flood of Trump administration, criminal corruption and attempts at accountability by Democrats that flood our news feeds every day. Uh, Now, right along with uh, news on the 2020. Twenty Democratic presidential candidates and what they hope to do to restore sanity to our increasingly broken nation, even as they prepare for this week's first big two night presidential debates in Miami. So some important Supreme Court rulings have received less notice than they might otherwise have with all of that over the past week, including a ruling that allows a 94 year old religious monument to fallen World War I soldiers to remain on government property. Despite concerns about the separation of church and state, an African-American man whose death sentence was overturned after a state prosecutor in Mississippi repeatedly excluded African-American jurors from sitting on his case. I say repeatedly because he has been tried in this case six different times. Also an opinion that overturns decades and perhaps centuries of property rights case law. Another that comes within a hair's breadth of invalidating hundreds, if not thousands, of laws passed by Congress in our nation's history. And a sweeping decision that overturns decades of trademark law, which the court found to be F.U.C.T., We'll explain that in a moment. But another reason for the lack of coverage is that while uh, there are still some blockbuster decisions pending any moment from SCOTUS, including their decisions on whether the Trump administration may add a citizenship question to the 2020 census, despite lying about their reasons for doing so to Congress and to courts, and whether partisan state legislatures may dilute the power of certain voters based on their political opinions, Via partisan gerrymandering, many of the rulings issued over the past week seem to be in more narrow cases, even if they are important ones. What I am finding most interesting about this past week of Supreme Court opinions is not what they ultimately say about the cases in question, but what the justices seem to be saying, frankly, about themselves and their plans. For the future and future rulings via their opinions on uh, as as we can read the tea leaves in these particular cases. Joining us once again today as SCOTUS season nears its uh, final crescendo is, of course, our favorite go to Supreme Court correspondent Slate's legal and court reporter Mark Joseph Stern. Oh, welcome back, Mr. Stern.
2: Thank you so much for having me back on. Always a pleasure, even though we won't have census and gerrymandering to talk about today. We have so much other stuff that we won't even notice that they're missing by the time we're done.
0: Well, too much other stuff, and actually there may be some hints about those cases in today's rulings that we are going to talk about, because you were right when we spoke last week that there were a, a, a number of cases coming in which the cases themselves seem almost less important than what the decisions may portend For the future in both related cases down the road and overall for the way the court is now signaling, as I read it, that they are, in some cases, preparing to overturn decades, if not centuries, of precedent in matters long thought to have been long settled laws. Am I right in my reading of some of these?
2: Uh, you are absolutely right that this is the term when the justices pretty much rip up starry decisis, or at least get out their lighters and lay the kindling. Uh, in a number of cases, the conservative justices have just decided they've had enough with precedent. They're ready to make the Constitution say what they want it to say. It doesn't matter what previous courts have ruled. Uh, and we're also getting some rulings that even though they don't get a ton of attention, do have a really big impact mm-hmm. on the law and do overturn a lot of uh, years if not decades uh, of decisions among the lower courts. So this is a a major and important term even if not every mm-hmm. case is as sexy as say the travel ban.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know and we're we're going to get into the specifics here but I think I feel like um, we need to underscore this because, you know, we have discussed, Mark, in in years past how the Supreme Court tends to be very conservative in the sense that they try to be as narrow as possible in their decisions. They try to not upset the uh, the apple cart, the stability of our law uh, of our laws and our court systems by really deciding almost as little as they possibly need to. Uh, To come up with their findings in any given case. But looking at what were some of these decisions here, this seems like they are signaling a potential sea change uh, in the way the Supreme Court has historically, at least in recent history, uh, dealt with uh, laws, duly passed laws and respecting prior decisions by the court. They are not looking at making narrow findings anymore, it seems to me, based on what they're writing in this week's uh, Decisions.
2: Well, I think it's a little too early to say that because we haven't had every case decided, and there are a few that have been decided on relatively narrow grounds, but for the most part, the justices have been kind of swinging for the rafters. They do not feel hemmed in by many limitations, uh, and you're you're just seeing a kind of unbridled exercise of judicial power, the kind of thing that Robert's said during his confirmation hearings he would never resort to.
0: (laughs) Yes, until he is actually resorting to them. Uh, The other reason, uh, before we get to the case, is that I think a lot of these cases may uh, not be getting a lot of attention is because many of them are actually confusing to me. Even after reading your excellent coverage, Mark, I don't think it's your fault, but it, it seems like... There were a lot of tricks and hair-splitting to sort of get to the decisions that the various majorities seemed like they wanted to get to, no matter how much sense their rulings actually made or didn't. Am I reading that correctly?
2: of these cases, yes. Uh, And in fact, that confusion extends to the court where you will have in some of these cases uh, justices sign on to the majority opinion and then write separate concurrences debating with each other what that majority actually means.
0: How unusual is that, by the way?
2: Uh, You know, it's happened more and more in recent years. You can tell the court is seeking a kind of uh, compromise that when you dig into it, turns out to be papering over a lot of deeper disputes. Uh, It's not totally new, but it's definitely escalated in recent years.
0: Well, let's see how many of these we can fly through and try to make sense of along the way, uh, including uh, one where we'll have to be very careful here on FCC radio, not to use any words that will get us all in trouble. But let's start uh, with the Peace Cross, which is almost the easiest to understand, even though the decision was very complicated. This is a case uh, seemingly about whether a religious symbol, a huge 94-year-old 40-foot cross, erected as a clearly religious symbol. World War One memorial to 49 fallen soldiers in Maryland, whether that cross may remain on public state owned land or whether that violates the First Amendment and the uh, separation between church and state. Now, this was a seven to two decision, Mark, with Justice Alito writing for the majority in what really seems like the justices had to twist themselves into all kinds of knots to come up with a reason to allow this clearly religious symbol to remain standing on government property.
2: Yes, and at the heart of Justice Alito's ruling is this extraordinary paradox. It's really sort of exquisite uh, when you read the decision and it jumps out at you, Alito says that because this cross has been up for so long and because it has come to stand for so many things, that it is no longer primarily a Christian symbol, but that if the courts ordered the cross moved to private land, that would be viewed as an anti-Christian move uh, an attack on Christianity. So the cross has to stay uh, because a ruling against it would express hostility to Christianity. Now, think about that for just a second. <laughs> he is saying, on the one hand, the cross isn't Christian. He's saying, on the other hand, that if the cross is moved, it will express anti Christian hostility. Can you explain how those <laughs> two ideas can possibly be squared?
0: <laughs> I absolutely cannot. Uh, and also, I cannot explain how. Uh, Alito's use of the passage of time, which I guess turns what it was a religious symbol, now it's a historic symbol. And so now it is constitutional because it's historic and not religious. If that is the case, isn't that also true for so many of the long established? Precedence that this Republican court seems chumping at the bit to want to overturn. They've been in place for uh, 10, 20, 50, 100 years. So doesn't that mean they're constitutional as well by that same reasoning?
2: <laughs> that is a wonderful analogy. Um, I would certainly hope so, although Alito. Uh, has this kind of uh, mushy section where he talks about all of the beautiful ways that the community comes together around this cross and imbues it with new meaning uh, in a way that I guess would kind of uh, differentiate it from a Supreme Court precedent, although I will notice that most of that is pretty much made up. Uh, you know, This cross exists in the middle of an intersection. The closest building is a pawn shop there is not actually a kind of community gathering spot anywhere near it. Uh, so this idea that the passage of time... Can, can convert or transmogrify an unconstitutional monument to religion by the government uh, into something that is lawful and secular, it, it just absolutely befuddles me and I think defies common sense. And
0: it could have been moved as well, right? We weren't talking about destroying it. It could have been moved to a, a, a different piece of property, presumably?
2: Yeah. And this is a red herring that's been popping up throughout the case, this notion that the government would have to tear it down, destroy it, set it aflame. No, 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 no. It it could be moved not even that many yards to private property or the middle of the intersection where it sits could simply be transferred back to private hands. Remember, this was originally mm. owned by private individuals. It mm. was then transferred to the state. There is nothing that stops the private individuals who defended it in this case from just taking it back and saying, all right, we'll take ownership of it. They aren't doing it because they want the government piggy bank. They want money from the state to take care of the cross. Mm. Uh, and the court blesses that effort in what I think is a pretty unfortunate but still relatively narrow decision. And
0: now you also, uh, the case was actually decided seven to two. Am I uh, correct on that one?
2: You are, and that's because Justices Kagan and Breyer signed on to most of the majority. Um, But this is what I was talking about earlier. Kagan and Breyer both wrote separately to highlight their belief Mm -hmm. that the passage of time is what makes this constitutional. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh then wrote separately to say he doesn't think the passage of time matters at all, that any time the government wants to erect a religious symbol, uh, that basically it gets to under this decision. And yet all three justices signed on to the same ruling. So they must be reading different words or something <laughs> uh, because they disagree about what it actually means, which makes it pretty difficult for us, uh, you know, mere civilians to determine what it means.
0: Don't too. we have uh, don't we have crosses on graves at Arlington as federal land? How, how is that any different, Mark?
2: Y- yeah, well, you know, w- w- of course the government is allowed to memorialize fallen soldiers with the religion to which they adhered, and this is something that Justice Ginsburg got into in her dissent. Uh, originally, these crosses were also put on the graves of Jewish soldiers, and there were uh, big outcries, understandably, uh, because the the government was essentially forcing these soldiers to be memorialized with Christianity. Mm. Uh, And now the government has changed the tune and has, for a very long time, uh, put up a stone that reflects the religious faith of the soldier, or no religious faith at all, if they were atheists. And so in that manner, the government is dealing with religions with an even hand, right? If you're Jewish, you get a Star of David. If you're Christian, you get a cross. If you're an atheist, you get something else. There's no preference. There's no endorsement for Mm -hmm. religion, for one particular religion over the other, or for religion over secularism. The Peace Cross is different. It stands, I think, if you just stood there and look at it, it stands as a monument to Christianity, and any other meaning you might want to give it takes a backseat to the fact that this is all about Jesus Christ and how he died for our sins.
0: And that's what Ginsburg wrote in her minority uh, opinion, that it elevates Christianity over other faiths over other faiths and religion over non-religion. Uh, but again, here was the part that struck me the most, Mark. Uh, you, you note that Justice Clarence Thomas wrote a separate opinion to reiterate his belief that the Establishment Clause, uh, the, uh, the so-called ch- separation of church and state in the Constitution, does not apply to the state's at all, meaning, if I understand this, a state legislature could literally establish an official religion without infringing upon the U.S. Constitution. Really? And, and does that also suggest that Thomas believes that states themselves do not have to follow the U.S. Constitution at all?
2: So Thomas believes, and he said this for a while, uh, that the Establishment Clause, pretty much alone or almost alone among the entire Bill of Rights, only today applies to the federal government uh he thinks it was designed in fact to permit states to establish their own official religions uh so yes he thinks that say if Michigan wants to establish Christianity as its official religion can pass a law doing so and nobody could stop it uh he he just has gone out on a limb with this absolutely wild belief i will tell you this is contested by almost all scholars of religious liberty uh on both sides of the aisle really you you have conservatives libertarians liberals all in agreement that of course today the establishment clause uh, prohibits states from engaging in a, a, any kind of action that respects an official religion. Uh, but Thomas thinks differently, and uh, he's the only justice who believes it today. But frankly, the way that Gorsuch is moving right now, I wouldn't be surprised if he joined him on this crusade soon.
1: Jeez, we
0: could could a state uh, ban free speech, ban freedom of the press, because they're a state and they don't have to follow the federal constitution under that same theory of Clarence Thomas's?
2: So, no, Thomas has cooked up this theory that only the Establishment Clause uh, doesn't apply to the states, that the rest of the Bill of Rights, or almost all of it, does apply to the states, but that the Establishment Clause is different, that it's special, that it wasn't meant... Uh, to ever be applied to the states, and uh, so no, he's not saying that the Constitution doesn't limit the states' actions. He's just saying that in this area, which is a very important area, yeah. the Constitution imposes no limitations on states.
0: Okie dokie then. Uh, speaking of uh, weird Clarence Thomas dissents, uh, in a uh, in a decision, a seven to two uh, ruling, Flowers versus Mississippi, the uh, court reversed. The most recent conviction of the most recent uh, conviction of many of a Mississippi man who has been tried an extraordinary six times for a quadruple murder in 1996, finding that a white state prosecutor once again had improperly kept African-Americans off the jury as he had done time and time again in each of the man's. uh, Curtis Flowers is his name. uh, Each of his six different trials, the last of which, um, that was overturned, thankfully, on Friday, had found him guilty and sentenced to be killed. The, uh, the case was decided, as I noted, seven to two, with Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, writing for the majority, Justice Clarence Thomas, of all people, and Neil Gorsuch in dissent. What are your key takeaways from uh, from this ruling?
2: So my key takeaway is that seven justices still believe that racism in the courtroom is bad. <laughs> uh, if that doesn't hearten you, I don't know what <laughs> will. That's, uh, um, I'll take
0: what I can get at this point. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, this was this was a really easy case, right? Six trials, all conducted by the same prosecutor. Every single time, he struck as many black jurors as he could. The defendant himself is black. Uh, the prosecutor himself is white. There was so much evidence of racism in this case, Um, and so thankfully uh, Justice Kavanaugh's majority opinion, which I actually think is quite good, uh, goes through all of this evidence and says, look, it's not like the prosecutor started screaming the N-word, but he came pretty close to that, Mm -hmm. so we're going to reverse this conviction, uh, which is, uh, again, the right call. Then you have Justice Thomas once again spinning out on his own. This time, he basically says that he thinks prosecutors should be allowed to strike black people from the jury because they think that black people will always vote to acquit other black defendants. Uh, this is just crazy talk from Thomas. He wants to overturn so much precedent, it'll make your head spin. Uh, and then Gorsuch joins Thomas, not on that particular point, but on saying, oh, we don't see any racism here. There's no racism in this case. Mm. This guy should be uh, you know, basically sent to the electric chair or the gas chamber or the lethal injection chamber uh, because there's no sign of racism and everything is hunky-dory.
0: No sign of racism. And we should note, by the way, that Justice Thomas is the only uh, African-American justice on the court. And he's the one saying no, no racism here. But the Mississippi District Attorney in this case, Doug Evans, uh, used his allotted challenges to uh, to remove jurors as prospective jurors to strike 41 of 42 black prospective jurors jurors i think that's is that over the six different trials uh am i reading that correctly yes
2: you are although there's not data on one of the trials Mm -hmm. and so the actual number of black jurors struck is probably even a little bit higher than that
0: in in uh, the two trials where there was more than one african-american allowed on the panel the result uh in in two of the trials was a hung jury with one or less african-american on the jury They voted to convict, including to use the death penalty. Um, How could this not be seen as a racist issue?
2: yeah, and actually, I will say the decision was really the least the court could do, because if you look at the evidence in the case, and there's actually a podcast about this case that's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Flowers is almost certainly innocent. He, he almost certainly did not commit this crime. There is almost no evidence linking it to him. There, there's, there's no real clear evidence of a motive. Uh, the gun was never found. It was his cousin's gun. His cousin was seen uh, at the scene of the crime shortly before it was committed. Uh, his cousin had a motive. Uh, There are all kinds of real red flags in this case. Um, So I think not only was the prosecution conducted in a racist way, but it was probably launched because of gross generalizations about what Flowers would do as a black man.
0: He has already endured six trials and more than two decades on death row, according to his attorney. And now uh, Clarence Thomas, in his uh, dissent, notes that uh, he he at least he, he takes some Uh, pleasure, joy, I can't remember the word he used, some relief in the fact that flowers can actually be tried again for a seventh time, as I understand it. And the same district attorney, Doug Evans, is still in that position, and he, I guess, would be the one to uh, try flowers for what I think would be an unprecedented seventh time for the same crime. Uh, Do we know if that will happen? And were there any sanctions for the prosecutor for what he has done in trial after trial after trial in this matter?
2: Uh, No sanctions for the prosecutor. He claims he hasn't done anything wrong. He uh, is about to be or has been reelected for another term of four years because no one ran against him in Mississippi. Uh, And yes, he claims he is ready to conduct a seventh trial. Uh, and and eager to do so in light of flowers. Uh, I I have no idea what's going to happen next in this case, but honestly, I suspect if he's not able to use racism in the courtroom, he may very well wind up with an acquittal, and this guy he's fought so hard to keep on death row for so long may finally walk free.
0: I I should note, uh, because you cite this in your uh, article over at Slate.com, that prosecutors had asked the five prospective black jurors who were struck from, uh, I guess, the most recent uh, trial, uh, prosecutors asked them a total of 145 questions as they were during the selection process. And yet they asked the 11 seat, ce- the 11 seated white jurors, a total of 12 questions. That means that each black juror was grilled with 29 questions. Each seated white juror was asked just an average of one. Seems pretty clear. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, all right. Before we get to a break here, we got more c- cases coming up after the break. But this property rights case, uh, which was decided a five to four, maybe the first sort of straight five to four conservatives versus liberal uh, ruling, I think, this week Um If if I'm following them all, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, writing for the majority, finds that property owners may now go straight to federal court before uh, or when their land is taken for public purposes by eminent domain, rather than having to go through the state court process first before going to federal court. I guess federal courts are thought to be more sympathetic to such cases. Again. This seems more important, not for the substance of the decision here, but for what it may portend for future cases. Justice Kagan, writing for the minority, describes uh, what is um, being overturned here is not just decades of settled law, but case law that goes all the way back to the 1800s.
2: Oh, yes. And I think even though the case might not sound that bad, or even kind of sympathetic to property owners, it's important to dig into it just a little bit, because Mm -hmm. what's at stake here is the government's ability to take property for public use, right? Uh, And the rule is, the government gets to take property for public use, it gets to exercise eminent domain, if it provides you just compensation, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't get just compensation, that is when you have suffered a constitutional violation. It's not when the government takes your property. So we have 50 different states with 50 different systems uh, that that help property owners get their compensation mm-hmm. when their property is taken and it is confusing and it can take a little while uh, and it can kind of get gunked up if there's a big eminent domain lawsuit in the states uh, but it's generally worked pretty well and so the federal courts have long said look before you come to us screaming that your civil rights have been violated make sure you go through the state process to get your money because there might be a perfectly lawful process to do it, you just haven't done it yet. And Roberts removed that barrier. And that means that people are just going to flood the federal courts with mm. all kinds of lawsuits and claims saying that the government can't take their land because they haven't gotten just compensation yet and makes it so much harder for the government to exercise eminent domain and does so by really warping so much precedent, like you said, going back to the 1800s for no reason other than the fact that five justices just don't really like that precedent.
0: Which is sort of what the point Kagan was making. She said you know, in the past we have overturned precedent, but there has always been a reason, a specific reason for doing so. Here she notes that uh, we're overturning uh, d- decades of, of precedent, centuries of precedent, just because the current majority on the court seems to want to, and that that is a, a, a real threat to the stability of the court system and the stability of laws in this country that uh, we have come to to, to count on. And that's why this really caught my eye, because is this the court sending a signal saying we will overturn anything that we damn well feel like overturning just because we feel like it?
2: That's what the uh, that's what the liberals (sighs) are saying. That's what they are warning us. And I think we would do well to heed their warnings.
0: Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with Mark Joseph Stern and uh, more on this, uh, including a scandalous case wherein we risk our affiliates FCC licenses, depending on how we discuss it. But it's also a case that might tell us something about the court's position on the upcoming partisan gerrymandering decision. And we'll get a quick update, if we can, on this remarkable 2020 census matter, where a decision is actually also expected in the next 24 hours or so, somehow, incredibly enough. Quick break, and we're back with more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com with uh, scandal. With our ever-reliable SCOTUS season correspondent, Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, wrapping up this past week's rulings uh, with the last of them uh, and some very big ones coming in uh, the days and even hours ahead before the justices head out to the Hamptons or Fire Island or whatever it is they do all summer long as we all suffer under the radical activist legislation from the bench rulings of a stolen Republican Supreme Court majority. All right, Mark Joseph Stern, one case that I think uh, was not particularly contentious this week, even if it was scandalous, is the Supreme Court striking down a restriction on immoral or scandalous trademarks in a case that had left the lifestyle brand calling itself F.U.C.T., Which, of course, stands for Friends You Can't Trust. Uh, It left them unable to trademark their products to uh, protect them from counterfeiters, etc., because the Trademark Office had refused to register that word under the decades-old law that bars immoral or scandalous trademarks. You write this week, Congratulations, potty mouths. No longer can government bureaucrats reject your trademark application because they deem it subjectively offensive. This is actually good news, isn't it, Mark?
2: Yeah, I think so, and the court was relatively unanimous, although there were some disagreements about what Congress can do now. Uh, but the court generally agreed, in Justice Kagan's words, uh, that this is viewpoint discrimination under the First Amendment, because uh, under this law, right, government bureaucrats are empowered to reject your trademark application if they deem it immoral or scandalous, uh, and must accept it otherwise, which means that the government is simply favoring certain ideas over others, mm-hmm. right? She gave some great examples. Uh, healthcare products, they use cannabis. Uh, they could not register their trademarks because they mentioned marijuana. Uh, but an anti-drug campaign could register its trademark. Why? Because drugs are bad. And the government gets to say it prefers uh, trademarks that dislike mm-hmm. drugs. Uh, that's, you know, maybe not the biggest deal in the world, but it is troubling under some very basic First Amendment principles. Uh, and so Kagan said, this law has got to go. Uh, but the court left open the possibility that Congress can come back and write a much narrower law that basically provides a list of words, of just vulgar words mm-hmm. uh, that can be denied trademarks. The idea here being that you can't suppress a, a speech on the basis of its viewpoint, but you can pick out a few words and say, look... These are naughty words, and we're not going to let the government uh, endorse them through a trademark.
0: Yeah, the existing law that was struck down now by this uh, ruling had allowed uh, the trademark, had disallowed the trademark bong hits for Jesus, but then it allowed them to register Jesus died for you. So, uh, again, uh, picking sides, I guess, in uh, (laughs) kind of uh, a religious way, that seems to be uh, way out of bounds. So good. But the big point here, uh, in Justice Kagan's majority argument uh, against penalizing or discriminating based on ideas or viewpoints, you note at Slate, Mark, that uh, Kagan seemed to be offering... Uh, Maybe a preview of at least her position in the court's upcoming decision on whether partisan gerrymandering is constitutional. The uh, challengers in both of the pending partisan gerrymandering cases note uh, that that they're they're representing voters who are penalized um, because their voting power has been diluted. Uh, Due to their political point of view, she's trying to uh, use this case to talk about that case. Uh, Does it does it make sense here? And is she uh, sort of projecting what either her or the court's opinion could be in those partisan gerrymandering cases?
2: Well, I hope she's projecting or forecasting, um, because there, there's a clear connection between this case and those. Uh, I mean, look, the, the trademarks case in some ways is easy, right, because you have the government taking sides, saying that, you know, say pro-religious speech is better than anti-religious speech. That's a big no-no. But in other ways, it's kind of a tough case because this isn't high-value speech, right? This isn't political speech. It doesn't cut to the core of what, you know, free expression in a democracy means. Some of these trademarks are really absurd. Some we can't say on air. Others like Al-Qaeda baby for baby clothes, I think. <laughs> you know, like th- that's not Speech that is necessary for self-governance, and still the court strikes down this law and says doesn't matter that the speech has no value. The government can't be taking sides. Well, look at the partisan gerrymandering cases. Mm -hmm. Think about the speech that is being penalized in those cases. You are having individuals expressing their support for a political party and punished for it, having their votes diluted simply because of their political expression, which is at the core of the First Amendment, which cuts to the very heart of free speech in a self-governing society. If the court is willing to protect trademark speech, but not willing to protect voters who are having their political speech Mm. punished through vote dilution, Mm -hmm. then this court has its priorities totally backwards.
0: Well, with Kagan writing that opinion in her writing for the majority here, does that mean that there is a majority on the court who agrees with that particular point?
2: I certainly hope so. And uh, I think, you know, Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh really have to think carefully about what they want their First Amendment legacies to be, because... The, the, the partisan gerrymandering cases are some of the easiest ones, to my mind, to come across this court's docket in a really long time. You know, we have these free speech cases about animal cruelty, about violent video games, about stolen valor, lying about medals of honor. This isn't speech that matters a great deal to democracy, but the court still protected it, and rightly so. Here we have, again speech that matters a great deal to democracy. And I hope that by joining um, parts or all of Justice Kagan's majority opinion, Roberts and Kavanaugh are signaling that they recognize the stakes in in these gerrymandering cases, that they are willing to adhere to this judicial philosophy and protect voters against dilution when they express support for a party that the government doesn't like.
0: I hope so, too. I want to get your uh, thoughts and uh, maybe even final predictions here on this census case uh, in a moment, but there's a, and I'll leave this to you, there's a case um, Gundy versus U.S. that uh, revolves around a statute known as the Sex Offender Registration and Notification Act, or SORNA, uh, which your headline writing about this over at Slate.com ominously notes uh, as the Supreme Court's conservatives are ready to take a wrecking ball to the entire federal bureaucracy that doesn't sound good. Is it explainable in about thirty seconds or a minute, Mark? If not, I will. Uh, we can try to either pick it up next week or point folks over to your uh, story at Slate.
2: Yeah, here's the here's the short version. You know, Congress, when it passes a law, basically gives executive agencies a goal and lets them fill in the details. Right? Like Congress is not devising the calculations by which the EPA determines how much mercury is too much. Mm-hmm. It leaves that to the scientists at the EPA and lets them enforce those rules. Uh, this case. Uh, in this case, Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Gorsuch, Justice, uh, Justice Thomas, and Justice Alito all suggested that they'd be willing to put a stop to that, that they'd be willing to basically prevent Congress from delegating its duties to agencies that have much more expertise, uh, and in doing so, probably destroy a huge chunk of the federal bureaucracy, mm. because that's how America is governed today. That's how environmental regulations, labor laws, all that stuff, that's how it gets implemented at the age agency level. And in this case, these guys say they want to put a stop to all of that, which would be a big problem for governance in America.
0: So if the law specifically doesn't say uh, exactly how something should work, exactly how the EPA uh, should determine uh, what is poisonous and what is not, then it should be uh, struck down, then, or at least a, a federal agency has no right to fill in those blanks?
2: That's right. And the law itself should be struck down. I mean, it's a pretty radical decision that Gorsuch wrote that was joined by the other conservatives. Uh, And so I think this is a warning sign for all of us that there is a block on this court that is ready to begin doing real damage to how the federal government operates today.
0: That is thousands of laws that could be struck down if this uh, if they go with this. Wow. All right. Finally, uh, one of the uh, two cases that has uh, many of us uh, most on edge right now, this this uh, case about the 2020 census, whether Trump. Uh, The administration can add a question regarding citizenship to the census, even though they lied about their reasons for wanting to do it to the courts and to Congress. And the Census Bureau itself has said it will suppress the response rate. And newly unearthed records from a deceased Republican gerrymandering operative appears to have been uh, behind the matter the whole time. Finding that adding such a question would, in fact, result in federal resources and voting power shifting From minorities and Democratic leaning areas to more Republican white voters, all kinds of things have been going on in this case at the last minute in the hours before this opinion is expected to drop. Mark, have we ever seen anything like this that you know of?
2: Bush v. Gore is the closest analogy, and I know that sends, you know, tremors of horror through many listeners, Um, but this really does feel like Bush v. Gore, and if the court upholds the citizenship question, uh, and especially depending on how they do it, it could be another Bush v. Gore basically saying, we're running interference for the Trump administration, don't try to get in our way. That would obviously be really depressing.
0: And this would be a decision that would have an effect for the next 10 years unless a lower court who is now reviewing the case again, again, um, blocks it, blocks the question even after the Supreme Court says, uh, no, you can go ahead with it.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the court is only looking at this pretty narrow issue of administrative law, right, whether it was done arbitrarily. But now with all of these files that have come from the dead Republican operative, there's proof of discriminatory intent in violation of equal protection. So even if SCOTUS upholds the citizenship question, a lower court could then move in and say, well, you upheld it for reasons you know, X and Y, but I'm going to block it for reason Z because this new material proves it was discriminatory and violation. Of the Constitution.
0: Well, good. Based on the way I think the Supreme Court is going to decide on the census uh, issue and maybe on the partisan gerrymandering issue, I hope this completely ruins their summer vacation as they have to <laughs> come back and try to figure out how to deal with this before the census uh, has to actually be printed within the next uh, few days or months, depending on whose deadline you're looking at. Wow, what a week. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, find his work over at slate.com. Uh, also on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Uh, he covers uh, obviously the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, and much more for slate.com. And hopefully we will get to talk to him one more time before the justices uh, scatter for the summer and apparently Mark Joseph Stern along with them. Hey, uh, thanks, Mark. Really appreciate you joining us today, my friend.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure. Thanks.
0: Okay, we got to get out. We've got, uh, yes, Des, you have a comment, uh, you have I'm a thought. Just, uh,
1: yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that last ruling. That's really, really scary when it comes to our ability for our agencies to put any kind of regulations on pollution and climate change and all these things that protect people.
0: You're talking about that Gundy decision, yeah. not the census decision. Yeah. And in that case, uh, for now, the uh, the law has held... But Alito uh, made clear, and one of the reasons was because they didn't have, Kavanaugh had not yet been seated, so they didn't have enough to overturn it. But Alito made clear that once there is a majority willing to overturn laws on that basis, that he's going to uh, do it, that the you know Congress wasn't clear enough, weren't specific enough. So we'll strike down the laws. They're going to do it. And that could be thousands of laws. Wow. You have been warned. You're welcome. Got to get out. Thank you very much to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com. Hope you'll uh, share it with your friends, leave a a nice comment or uh, a not-so-nice comment as you see fit, you can drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog, and that is it. Until we meet again with Democratic presidential debate coverage, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.